Welcome to the Danube Institute's podcast series, A Matter of Perspective, in which today we are going to talk about the challenges they face and the differences needed to overcome by the Visegrad countries, namely Poland, Hungary, the Czech Republic and Slovakia, particularly now in terms of the war in Ukraine. My name is Tomáš Orbán. My guests today are Peter Stepper, a senior research fellow of the uh, Institute for Foreign Affairs, Anton Bendorzewski, research director of the Danube Institute, and Peter Sitash, research fellow of the Danube Institute. Welcome, gentlemen. Hi. Happy to be here. My first question is going to be about the different attitudes and relations to uh, Russia within the V4 countries. Uh, particularly prior to the invasion. So is there or was there an underlying difference in how the V4 member states viewed Russia, uh, its geopolitical ambitions perhaps? Um, are there political or even historic roots to uh, these differences? And do you think we can see significant changes in this regard since the war broke out? Well, yeah, maybe I, I can start. Uh, so Russia was always the the most dividing factor between the relations of, of the V4 countries, especially between uh, Poland and, and Hungary and the rest of the V4, uh, because Poland uh, always uh, seen Russia as essential threat. Uh, against its uh, its statehood, against its uh, security um, uh, factors, security um, uh, and its strategy, um, and but previously uh, this this kind of vision of of Russia was put aside, uh, and uh, the, the the members of the V four countries were concentrating on other issues like economic cooperation, uh, infrastructure cooperation, and so on. And Russia was put aside. It was important more for, let's say, for Poland than to Hungary. And uh, after the war uh, started in, in Ukraine, uh, it, it wasn't just not possible to, to put, put Russia aside because it, it became the most important factor currently uh, in their relations. So I think that's, that's the main difference that uh, the Perception of threat uh, within the V4 is different from country to country. Uh, and on one scale of this threat perception is Poland, which always uh, uh, perceived Russia as the, the, the biggest threat for it. And, and maybe Hungary is on the other end, which, uh, which is not directly neighboring Russia, which didn't have such traumatic historic experience, or at least the traumatic experience were, was for only a few decades and not like um, in case of Poland, uh, which um, was part of Russia for, for uh, several centuries. So, uh, um, well, and of course, we'll see that after after the conflict, uh, hopefully it will be finished or um, the things uh, changed and probably the factor of Russia will become again a secondary uh, or will not be a defining moment between their relations. Peter? Yeah, I would think uh, Poland has always been uh, a bit of uh, an extreme example, not just within the V4, but also in Europe when it comes to Russia. And obviously it's uh, easy to understand uh, why, because of uh, their historical experience and uh, the constant uh, fear of being uh, undermined, the political uh, stability in Poland, uh, either from the West by Germany or uh, from the East uh, by Russia. Of course, uh, since we live 
uh, as uh, the members uh, of the European Union uh, respecting democratic values. Germany is not much of a threat uh, in this way for Poland, of course, but uh, that's not uh, the case uh, of uh, the Russian uh, political assertive and aggressive uh, policies uh, towards European and NATO uh, states. So it was quite clear uh, why was this uh, difference uh, present uh, within the V4 group when it comes to Russia in general. Uh, so that's why, as we all know, Visegrad works uh, in a way uh, pursuing this uh, art of uh, disagreement, uh, how the experts uh, sometimes uh, call this format, uh, meaning where we would like to uh, avoid those topics uh, which can uh, divide us. Uh, however, I would say uh, in particular cases, uh, Russia was uh, well on, on the agenda of Visegrad. So if you can recall a few years back, uh, we discussed uh, the uh, common standpoint on uh, the Nord Stream 2 and because of the uh, Polish uh, diplomatic efforts uh, to oppose the project, all the other countries, including Hungary, uh, was ready to uh, support them. So in this way, I wouldn't say uh, Russia was totally put aside uh, all the time in that sense. But of course, uh, our security uh, perception uh, is uh, or was uh, different uh, before uh, before the war. Uh, so for first, I would start with uh, these short comments. Thank you. Uh, it seems that there's Hungary on one end and Poland on the other. Maybe not as much as the media would like us to see, as, as you pointed out. But now turning to Peter Sitash, I know that uh, you were born in Slovakia. Can you add something from a Slovak and Czech perspective to this? Well, um, we see that the world has turned upside down in the last few months. But if you go back in time, the relationship towards Russia in the post-Czechoslovak countries was always, always up to the government. So... Uh, in, in Slovakia, for example, now there is a hostile attitude towards the Russia and it's an unprecedented one because uh, Slovakia has never in its history turned against Russia as much as it is doing in these days. On the other hand, for example, the previous Slovak government, it was much a pro-Russian one. On the other hand, the international international community and also the the events were absolutely different at that time so after the disintegration of the federal country for a short time it seemed that maybe slovakia is going to follow the russian model and will go to the russian russian path instead of the western one but in 1998 it became clear that the country does not want to, to go on that way. So now, if we look at, look at Czechia, Czechia is completely a Western state, not just because of its geolocation, but also, on the other hand, it's, uh, um, it's a liberal state, uh, the one maybe, the one which from the post uh, Eastern countries was able to to get into the Western system the easiest because of its industry, because of its location, because of maybe its will. 
And for the first round, I can only add that. So we are in this very moment, we are just watching the world, how the world is changing, and we are watching tectonical movements in relationship with Russia and Central Eastern Europe is not an exception of that. So if, if I may add, and there is also polarization within the society and let's say in Slovakia and Hungary, uh, and maybe for Czech Republic and Poland, we, we can say the same because uh, the society in, in regards to Russia uh, uh, is not so polarized as in Slovakia or, or Hungary. Uh, how do they perceive Russia? Um, what do they think about Russia? I think based on the polls which I've seen in Hungary and in Slovakia, uh, this is uh, especially different compared to Poland or, or Czech Republic. Well, well, if, if I may react, in, in Slovakia, this pan-Slavism has always worked. So it's a young nation which is, on the one hand, looking its roots, on the other hand, looking its place in the world. And they always, they have always had strong ties towards the East, towards Russia. On the other hand, now, uh, there is a constant governmental crisis in Slovakia. We have a liberal government, a liberal president. On the other hand, the support is, it seems that it's, it's, it's lacking. So it wouldn't be a surprise if there will be elections in next year and not in two as it usually should have been. So there are also movements inside the country. The inflation is rising. The economy is not as good as it used to be, just if you look back five, six years. So yes, I, I, I can agree with you. And, and, and also, it's, it's, a, it's a public relays question that a country with 49,000 square kilometers without oil, without gas, how does Slova Slovakia wants to sanction Russia? on which it's dep it depends. Okay, thank you. Well, that's actually touched upon my next question, which is, you know, a major factor today is the energy security of Europe and uh, and uh, particularly Central uh, European countries' dependence of, on, uh, on, on, on Russian um, uh, fuels. So what are the primary differences between the V4 members' uh, energy sources and their methods of procurement how does that influence their behaviors? And why do some members seem to easily stand behind the ideas of oil and gas embargoes, while others, like Hungary, um, strictly oppose them? Yes, well, uh, there is also, uh, again, the, the same division between Poland and probably the rest of the V4. Uh, I think uh, we, we, we didn't see such strong stance from uh, Czech Republic or, or Slovakia, but I think in this regard, they are on the side of Hungary uh, in terms that they really need Russian gas and, and Russian oil. And uh, <clears throat> the big difference is also um, geographic. Uh, Czech Republic, Slovakia, Hungary are landlocked countries. We don't have ports. We don't have... Um, let's say proper alternatives for for getting uh, for get, getting gas or oil uh, uh, from other sources. For Poland, it's much easier, and because of their um, uh, position towards Russia, they were preparing uh, for it, preparing for uh, uh, for getting alternative sources. They were in the last uh, ten years, they were building LNG terminals uh, <clears throat> all across their um, uh, shore. Uh, so they were they were ready to um, uh, 
uh, to separate from from this old Soviet network of uh, energy resources. While for, uh, let's say for Hungary, uh, in the last 20 years, there were different plans. Um, how could we diversify our flow of oil or, or gas? But most of these plans, um, um, in the end, were not working. Uh, like uh, South Stream, um, Nabucco was killed by both by European Parliament and, and Russia. Uh, so most of these alternative routes were, were not working. And of course, it was not uh, a mistake of Hungary because we, we were just part of this, of the plans, but uh, the plans were not ours. <clears throat> so the best we can do now is to get some, let's say, uh, for example, if we are talking about gas, we can get some LNG gas from uh, Croatia. Maybe we can get some gas coming from Azerbaijan. Uh, so part by part, we can get something, but it's not enough to, to completely um, uh, replace uh, Russian sources. For Czechia, for Czech Republic, it's uh, maybe it's the situation, it's a bit better because they are uh, more connected to, to German network. Uh, for them, um, they can hope that probably Germany uh, may help them. So the division is basically based on geography, landlocked countries versus non-locked uh, landlocked countries and uh, preparedness um, uh, because it's, it's not possible to, to change uh, uh, from one moment to another the, uh, the supplies of, of energy. And uh, yes, for, for oil, maybe it's a bit uh, easier. For gas, it's, uh, it's very, very difficult and we, we can do it from one moment to, to another. I absolutely agree with uh, Anton that uh, geography matters uh, in that sense. And uh, if I may add something, uh, in case of Poland, it's also very important that uh, when they try to evaluate their true opportunities to separate from Russian sources, there is always a big factor that the United States is uh, the big brother of uh, Warsaw right now and looking at uh, them like uh, being the, uh, let's say, front state and, 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 and the first state in the neighborhood of uh, Russia uh, defending NATO interest uh, there. In the sense, when they talk about uh, opportunities uh, buying uh, gas, for example, from Qatar and other Middle Eastern uh, region, or uh, using the Baltic uh, pipeline or other LNG sources from Svenevce and other uh, ports in uh, Poland, uh, they can realistically hope that even if uh, something diplomatic problems arose from time to time, it, it can happen. Of course, if you do a business with uh, Middle Eastern countries, it can happen that they uh, think otherwise or uh, some unexpected changes uh, will happen from will happen from uh, the business perspective but in their case uh, they are a relatively bigger country they have the support of the uh, united uh, states and they i think realistically can hope uh, their plan is something uh, which is capable of uh, working in, the, in 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 the long run so there are clear signs they uh, cancelled or not prolonged uh, the existing uh, contract with uh, Gazprom, which is a clear sign uh, of uh, their uh, intentions. Of course, uh, the other three countries uh, try to do everything in their possession to uh, follow this uh, uh, very hard, rocky, but uh, more or less viable road to separate from Russia. 
but uh, in reality uh, they have uh, much less uh, opportunities. For example, the Czechs uh, try to uh, have some capacities from the Netherlands uh, LNG ports, but uh, the figures are not published yet and it's not, not a coincidence. So they are talking about big opportunities, but in reality it, it's most probably a small or at least a mid-size uh, help uh, from from uh, when it comes to to LNG and not to mention the problem of uh, the European race uh, for all the LNG sources. So LNG is not something which is uh, we have in a vast amount of uh, uh, indefinite uh, um, quantity all around the world. So we have a limited number of sources: Australia, uh, Canada, the United States. But not to mention it's very expensive because it's uh, it's uh, far from Europe. But also uh, the capacities are uh, have have their own 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 limits. So there will be uh, a race uh, for those uh, sources, and uh, I'm not sure if uh, all the V4 countries are prepared for uh, for uh, acquiring uh, the necessary amount of uh, of gas. And it's it's only the gas proportion, but there is also a problem with electricity, uh, uh, heating. And uh, it's it's quite disturbing when uh, we read the news and uh, seeing okay the Slovak government is talking about uh, supporting uh, small households to buy heat pumps and do the thermal isolation of the houses uh, in in hopes of uh, of having a relatively uh, bearable uh, winter time. So it's it's crazy to be honest because uh, we are not talking about a high tech country like uh, Singapore or Hong Kong or whatever. Uh, we are talking about a uh, uh, Central European uh, country, uh, which has uh, a very huge problem with uh, poverty and and, uh, and and basic social network, and not just Slovakia, but also here in Hungary. We cannot expect uh, the rural population and and uh, the large extent of the population to to use those uh, high tech geothermic uh, heating uh, options instead of, of of cheap gas. So I, I think uh, we have this problem of uh, having a wrong narrative and, and, and dreaming about uh, uh, the possibilities. And when the reality comes along, it, it will be a, a huge difference within the group how, how to handle it. I, I totally agree. And I can just add that, for example, the Slovak government have published a leaflet on its website about how to cook with less gas. So can you imagine that those people, I'm especially the pensioners, the elderly people, whom it really matters how much they are paying, are going to look at the website of and, and uh, start to cook using half of the gas, which they have done all of their life, including the socialist times. And also, uh, we all know that international relations is not an exact science, literally, definitely not. But it's so weird to see that leaders of countries, for example, Slovakia, are making such illogical steps, which, which are, which are hard, hard to define. And it's, it's always difficult to say and to, to put it into words what the national interest is. On the other hand, sanctioning Russia Cutting the oil lines, cutting the gas lines, cannot be an interest of Slovakia because on the other, because we are we are talking about a country which has just started to catch up with with the West. The inflation is around eight percent, but it can be even even more. So people are going to have problems on a daily basis, 
and and the government doesn't give them solutions for these problems. And that's why I can just repeat myself that there's a governmental crisis, the opposition is trying to get back, and they are pushing it really hard. And it's also interesting that the leader of the Slovakian opposition, the former prime minister Robert Fico, are making the same quotes as Viktor Orban, the Hungarian prime minister, is making. And he clearly, on a daily basis, on its on his press conferences, repeating the words of Orban and saying how he would have vetoed, for example, the sanctions if he if he had been the prime minister of the country. So there are tectonical movements inside the country, and I'm I I, I don't think that this formation will end its mandate on time. Sorry, if, if I may add that, yes, uh, it's important to know that uh, uh, within European Union, uh, each and every country has different dependency on Russian oil and gas. And therefore, it's quite problematic to put the same in one basket. And then, of course, we have to maintain the unity of the countries when we are talking um, about their stance towards Russia and uh, how should we react to, to Russian aggression. But on the, on the other hand, of course, it's not possible to, um, let's say it's much easier for uh, the Netherlands <laughs> or, um, or, or Spain to, uh, to support the sanctions uh, against Russian oil uh, or Russian gas than, than to do it for, for Hungary or uh, for Central European countries, because we are on a much higher level of dependency. And of course, uh, yes, we were talking about previously, oil can be substituted easier. Uh, it's more about question of price, if we are willing to pay more for that oil because of uh, logistic uh, um, costs, added costs. Uh, but in terms of gas, it's it's again different because it's not a question of, of price. Uh, and anyway, the prices of gas are sky in the sky, uh, but it's also a question of availability if we get the gas or not. And if we don't get it, then our industry will just stop and uh, the households uh, will have problems. And uh, of course, it was so far we were talking about our uh, measures towards Russia, which were done so far. We had six uh, sanction packages, but we never talk about what what Russia can do to us. And uh, in terms of gas, uh, they can do a lot if they just stop the flows. Uh, and now it's easier to talk about it because now it's summer. And um, uh, let's say we don't, if Russia would do it now, we, we won't feel it immediately. But uh, if, if this kind of pressure comes from Russia in uh, November, then uh, we will be in a very hard situation. And I just, we, so there is Germany. So Germany is the engine of Europe. And it seemed that how they were counting with Russia uh, that they have built two pipelines and they they wanted to operate them until the very last moment, these pipelines, because on the one hand, okay, there's the geographical situation, they are in the West, they are not landlocked country. On the other hand, they desperately need those gas and it may take years to reroute the current uh, lines of, of gas and, and to make new contracts. So it's 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 not an easy task, and and in in our our attitude sometimes reflected if if uh, we were 
we were stronger than we are in 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 my humble opinion it is also interesting to see how in the last uh, years before the war uh, the whole european union if i can use this word securitized the issue of uh, climate uh protection and uh, we would be or wanted to be ready for doing anything in our possession to do uh, something for decarbonization. And uh, as Anton mentioned, there is a clear division between the Netherlands, Ireland, Spain, Austria, Iceland, or other countries invested heavily into those technologies when it comes to uh, environmental uh, protection. But uh, when it comes to energy security, uh, it seems after the war, right after the war, uh, we have a situation when we have done the same with a different topic. We securitized uh, short-term energy supply, we are ready to do everything uh, just to be separated from Russia. And in order to achieve this, uh, I'm not sure, but it seems we are ready to get rid of the former goals uh, when it comes of uh, uh, protecting our environment. And uh, it's very problematic because some of the countries are already there, uh, ready to uh, change uh, internal combustion engine for electric vehicles and all the stuff they invented and invested in to, to move forward. And they are in a situation they have to choose from the two uh, alternative uh, goals because uh, it's unrealistic to do the same. And uh, when it comes to the V4, I'm, I'm very uh, uh, worrying because uh, we are in a position that uh, we are not there yet when it comes to high tech. Uh, technologies uh, in terms of decarbonization, but also we are the ones dependent on Russian energy. So even if uh, we have a situation uh, uh, with uh, major uh, Western European uh, players cannot cope with, how can they realistically expect us uh, to, to, to choose from those impossible choices? Among the practicalities, the most hated, perhaps the most hated um, uh, point of the debate uh, was whether we should give little weapons to Ukraine. What do you think drives this conflict regarding weapons shipment between mainly Poland and Hungary? Is it, do you think, is it a uh, political question or is it more a strategic one? Um, where do the other two countries stand in this regard? And um, do you think that does it or can it even make a difference at this point in Ukraine? Well, it definitely makes a difference. So Ukraine uh, survival is uh, um, at least uh, uh, the big part is due to uh, support from Western countries, um, both in terms of weapons and both of uh, ammunition. Uh, well, in terms of Hungary, the situation is a bit different because we are uh, in the middle of a rearmament program. So I think the government uh, made the decision based on the factors that if we see geographically, um, the support going to Ukraine through uh, this small Hungarian border uh, to uh, Zakarpatia is, uh, is just not viable. I mean, it's strategically, it's, it's not, uh, there's no point to, to, to bring uh, um, the, the weapons through that part, but it's much... Uh, uh, the strategy difference is uh, much more viable to to do it through Poland or, or Romania. On the other hand, as I mentioned, we are in the middle of rearmament program, so we just changed our Soviet weapons, and uh, we are 
expecting new modern, mostly German weapons. So we don't have anything, <laughs> any big weapons to give to Hungary. Um, uh, to uh, so we don't have any big weapons to to give to Ukraine. Um, and there is a big difference in this regard to, to Poland because, well, in the first round, Ukraine expected this kind of Soviet weapons because they are, the soldiers were used to that. They didn't need a, a training program. So the weapons they received from Slovakia or Poland, they were exactly these Soviet weapons. And for these countries, it was actually good to send these weapons because then they could uh, discuss a deal with Germany or, or, or United States and instead of these weapons, receive uh, new modern uh, arms. Uh, in case of Hungary, we didn't have such option to to supply Ukraine with Soviet kind of weapons because we, we didn't have it. So both strategically and in in terms of Hungarian supplies, we didn't have such option. So um, I think the situation is different in, in this regard as well. Different, um, let's say, arm program or um, properties of, 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 of weapon systems and, uh, and, and regards to strategy. Um, and, but, Answering your question, yes, it, 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 it's absolutely important for Ukraine, uh, the support of weapons, but the countries were on, 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 uh, in, in the Visegrad group were on different uh, position in this regard. And even if we wanted to, we, we couldn't, as Hungary, we couldn't send weapons to, to Ukraine. Well, I, I, I so much like the phrase non-lethal non weapons, because of what, what kind of weapons are, are non-lethal? And... Uh, it seems currently that the one of the big winners of this war will be the arm producers because because countries which wanted to and and have kept their their purchases low in the last decades such for example germany they have already already noted that this policy is going to change on the other hand, if we, if we look at the attitude towards Ukraine and the shipments of arms, in my opinion, we always have to see what the relationship of the involved country of the leaders of the involved countries were before the war. And for example, if you just look at Vladimir Putin and Viktor Orban, so the, at the beginning of their careers, they didn't used to be friends, and it was such a long work until the current relationship worked out between those two people. And it so clearly seems that Hungary wants to make business, wants to run its economy. We want to reach the Western standard of living. This is, this is one of the top priorities. And this is, in my opinion, this is what a government is for, to provide for their people. And, and on the other hand, there were the Hungarian-Ukrainian bilateral relationships, which were frozen in the, last, in the last years. So Hungary, as the prime minister have told many times, it's, it's not the war of Hungary. We wanted to get out of this, stay out of it as much as it was possible. And also we don't have to neglect the fact that many ethnic Hungarians, 100,000, even more than 100,000 ethnic Hungarians live on the Ukrainian side of the border. So they are on a constant, under a constant threat. Uh, and and uh, 
It's our role, not just from the constitution, but because of the national obligations to protect those people. And, and the best way how a country like Hungary may protect, uh, protect those people is to stay out of the stay out of, of this conflict. And I would add one more thing, as Anton have mentioned, so there is a modernization in the weapon system in Hungary. So we are starting, we have, we have been using the, the NATO, uh, for example, the NATO calibers for the weapons, which do not match with the Russian one. I don't really know, and probably it's a state secret, how many of those old ammunition may there be in the storage is somewhere hidden. Uh, it's a it's a policy which the before the elections it's also not a neglectable point that before the elections it was a clear position of the of the prime minister that we will not send weapons. He also said in an interview that we do not have weapons to be sent, and this opinion uh, resulted in a two thirds majority again. So I don't think that there will be any change in this field in regards of Hungary. Thank you. Uh, I, and I think uh, what was the most important uh, part of the question originally is if it is a political or a policy question. Because uh, I think from uh, the political perspective, uh, the perception of the V4 countries, I mean, Hungary and, and, and the other three countries are very different uh, when it comes to the end game of the conflict. Of course, the Ukraine war, sooner or later ends and uh, we have different uh, feelings about uh, the scenarios and, and what will happen uh, eventually. And there is also clear uh, division uh, when it comes to the intentions. I mean, as part of the Euro-Atlantic area and NATO members, we all have the same intention to have a peaceful uh, environment, democratic values and uh, defend our alliance and NATO. But Ukraine is not part of NATO. Ukraine is, uh, of course, a member of, uh, of the United Nations, a sovereign country with every right to defend uh, uh, itself from uh, aggressor. It's, uh, it's true and we support this. However, uh, then there are certain uh, extreme uh, intentions like uh, punishing Russia uh, for, uh, in a way, uh, which uh, <clears throat> which is a clear message not to repeat that kind of attitude and behavior in uh, the next hundred years. And it's also a message for other potential aggressor uh, countries not to do the same. Uh, it's uh, it's something, something uh, which is not uh, the same position in every single V4 country. In case of Hungary, it was clear uh, our government uh, would like to see uh, negotiations and make peace as soon as possible. And uh, the other countries, I'm not sure about the Czechs and the Slovaks, but of course, uh, Poland is uh, having a point when saying, now we have the chance to punish uh, Putin. In, in a, if we are lucky, uh, we can achieve a regime change or something. I don't see it uh, coming, but still, it's uh, quite easy to understand why they have uh, this attitude. Uh, I think the problem is, uh, one might say or think uh, falsely uh, what will happen is uh, solely in the hands of Ukrainians because uh, they are the attacked party, they fight uh, to survive and uh, it's only um, in, in the possession of Putin to end the war. And uh, I, I'm not totally agree uh, with this because as Anton mentioned, 
the Ukraine uh, defense is uh, very much dependent on foreign aid and especially uh, heavy weapons uh, sent to the country. So if uh, there is or there would be a change, for example, in, in US policy, uh, what to send to them and what not to send to them, like the HIMARS system, there was a debate uh, if it's a good idea to uh, to export uh, long-term uh, uh, systems, long-range systems, and not just the short-range uh, one. Uh, it can send uh, some signals and messages to give to to start negotiations or have different ambitions when it comes to the end game. And I think it's a, a very dividing topic. And uh, Hungary just decided not to take uh, part in the in this whole discussion and saying at the very first day, we are not ready to send anything because from the reasons what Anto mentioned, we do not have anything uh, and uh, without uh, sending, without compromising our own uh, national defense. Uh, but also we wouldn't like to take part uh, in that discussion and take responsibility for those choices. I think what we can see from the V4 uh, side, expect to a certain extent Poland, it's more like a symbolic uh, number and quantity of uh, weapons we've sent. So what is more important, what are the Americans and other big players are doing? Yes, and also, if, if, if I may react just shortly, that uh, the, the reason is really important because Hungary from the first seconds uh, keeps telling that this conflict should be ended immediately. However, this is not the interest, for example, of the United States and not the interest of those countries, of some of those countries who are sending the weapons because by these weapons, the conflict can be upholded. And on the other hand, the Russia is losing every day financial, human, um, and physical infrastructure also. So, so there were words about uh, over from overseas that maybe to weaken Russia can be uh, an outcome of this, and maybe can, this can be one of the aims of the United States. And and also, so for example, a few years ago there was no debate on such a big scale as it is today for of of purchasing the LNG gas. It wasn't on a big scale, the topic uh, uphold it to buy such so many weapons as the the world is about today. So this this war also brought some uh, repositioning in the in the the old and tough structures, and and uh, while we are hoping uh, to to end this war as soon as possible. We, we have to also say that this is not the interest of every party involved. The V4 countries have been agreeing on, on one thing, at least, and that is Ukraine's um, EU accession. What benefits could the V4 get from Ukraine becoming an EU member in the foreseeable or distant future? Or do you see this support as only a token of goodwill, considering that it will likely take years or even more than a decade to uh, become a reality. Well, I see on Peter's face that he has a completely different uh, opinion on the question than I do, I have. But uh, I think that um, um, uh, EU's uh, enlargement towards the East is uh, one of our most important geopolitical goals for not just for Hungary, but for other Central European countries. 
Um, and I explain it's uh, it's for several reasons. Uh, one of it's it's uh, security. If we manage to um, uh, expand uh, to the east, uh, and currently let's say we are the periphery uh, on 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 the uh, side eastern side of European Union. Uh, if we uh, if the enlargement will go on towards the Balkan, towards Ukraine. Uh, Moldova, then uh, we will become the center. Uh, so in, in this regard, security reasons are very important. How can we defend ourselves? How Central Europe will um, you know, will uh, be managed in the long run? Uh, again, it's also a question of uh, economy. Uh, Ukraine is one of the biggest uh, markets uh, uh, in, in Europe. Uh, it's the uh, second uh, largest country in Europe. It has uh, 41 million um, uh, people, uh, population. Uh, so it's potentially, it's a big market. Well, currently it's also the poorest country in Europe based on uh, GDP per capita. So they have to uh, develop a lot in this regard. But in terms of common market and uh, enlargement of our, um, uh, let's say, development of our economy, it's quite important to have such countries uh, in our uh, alignment system. And again, the third uh, uh, factor why it's important for us, it's, uh, it's again, geopolitical reason. Uh, the decision-making within European Union is tends to go towards the Western countries, the Western European countries, Germany, France, for instance. Um, if the enlargement will go on and uh, Ukraine, Moldova, and Serbia, and other Balkan countries will be part of European Union, uh, this the shift in decision-making will we go toward the central center of, of Europe, towards uh, Central European countries like Poland uh, and Hungary. Um, so for us, it's important to to balance this kind of decision making within the, the European Union and um, to become, um, let's say, a heart of Europe and not the periphery. I absolutely agree with Anton that uh, from this strategic point of view, being uh, on the periphery of Europe, it's not a good position and everything which helps to change that Western Balkan accession and the accession of Ukraine and Moldova is in the interest of Hungary and uh, hopefully in the interest of other reefer parties. Uh, Poland, of course, is supporting the idea uh, in terms of Eastern countries and in exchange of that, most probably for the Western Balkan region as well. Czechs and Slovaks are always uh, a bit uh, hesitant and uh, trying to figure out whom to follow in that debate, but uh, I presume uh, from what we mentioned, this strategic uh, perspective, they are also uh, on our side in that case. Uh, for example, in Slovakia, I, I, I'm sure they are uh, consistent uh, with uh, the group. The question is, uh, what is the opinion of uh, other, most probably Western European uh, Dif uh, countries having a bit different opinion. Uh, I would uh, mention, for example, the Netherlands and other countries who were very firm, uh, even when it uh, came to the problem of uh, cohesion funds and other financial support for uh, for the V4. And we are not talking about reconstruction of Ukraine and other uh, uh, insanely heavy projects for the European Union, which took uh, decades, uh, I presume. But we were talking about uh, peanuts 
and uh, they were actually uh, opposing the idea to continue supporting uh, the less developed countries in the in the east so i think the big question is uh, if it is truly a reality and uh, which uh, big player france or germany is able to uh, put political pressure on those who might oppose the idea of uh, future ukraine uh, eu uh, accession but uh, it's definitely will be a uh, a long process. I think what we can gain from this situation uh, is uh, what we have actually seen uh, from 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 the government communication uh, in 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 Hungary that we would like to uh, use this opportunity to put our uh, preferred uh, candidates on the list uh, and and support uh, other Western Balkan states uh, and to to move ahead and. Uh, and uh, to gain uh, and and grab this momentum of uh, expanding the European Union. Careful, 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 careful. Uh, yes. Uh, so the the when when you ask the question, I I just and I don't want to be sarcastic in this, but but my first thought was that we want Ukraine into the European Union because when Ukraine enters, this is the point when the European Union collapses, and and. Uh, and I don't really don't want to make fun of it, but I think that I'm I'm I think that this decision what was made a few days ago it's a symbolic one, but it does not have any any practical meaning because Ukraine is not ready for EU accession. So we don't know where the borders of Ukraine will be. So basic question: We are talking about 40 million people inhabitants. We don't know how many of those people are going to stay in Ukraine, how many of those of those will uh, move to Western Europe because the infrastructure they were using, their homes were, were, uh, were totally uh, destroyed. On the other hand, uh, it's also not, we, we shouldn't forget the fact that there were people who there there were countries who wanted to join desperately wanted to join to the European Union even for years and there was a lack of wish from the side of Brussels to to make a horizontal uh, horizontal growing uh, what we saw in the last few years is they were trying to deepen the relationship within the euro countries and trying to centralize the whole union and also this is one of the of the Brazilian aims, which is in contrary of the policies of Budapest. So, so why Budapest keeps saying yes, we want Ukraine? I I think that uh, that this is also one of the reasons a bigger bigger European Union it cannot be cannot be just uh, just driven as easily as a smaller one. And also there is one more thing. So Ukraine is, is, is in a war at the very moment. Imagine this war ends. So all those structural funds, all those sources, which are currently uh, divided among the Eastern European countries, so they would all go to, to Ukraine. And, and these countries, including some regions of Hungary, some regions of Slovakia, but also even Poland, would lose a lot of it. So on a practical basis, it's, it's uh, not uh, correlates with their interest. And, and just one last thing. Uh, 
So there are, there's been an ongoing debate between uh, the European Commission and, for example, Hungary on rule of law issues, on uh, there are some corruption charges against the members of the government. And uh, Ukraine, and everyone knows it, every, it's, it's not a secret, it's the, we are talking about the most corrupt country of Europe. So, so That's Russia, sorry, that's Russia. Then the second one, okay. <laughs> Maybe the difference is that in Russia, the political leadership has oligarchs, and in Ukraine, the oligarchs used to have a political leadership. But this does not uh, change the fact that Russia is not intending to join the European Union. However, Ukraine does. And I think such an accession would completely turn the whole EU policies upside down. Well, thank you. There's one last question, but we're already running out of time. So I would ask you to... Um, Keep sentence. it a bit yeah. uh, simple and short, but I think it's still a very important question. So in the past, we could see that the Visegrad countries showed remarkable cohesion when they negotiated their interests and position within the EU against Brussels, and in a certain way, even in, in Washington. Now, that unity seems to be a bit broken. So how do you see the development of the Visegrad-Brussels and Visegrad-Washington relations after the war in Ukraine. Just in one sentence, as, as always in the past, we have to find the least common multiple because this what moves before ahead. If we have common interest, we will cooperate. That's, that's my opinion. I totally agree uh, with this. And I think there is a clear uh, difference between the two. When it comes to Brussels, uh, Visegrad platform has always been and will be in the future uh, a very important uh, platform for all the four countries. Uh, I don't think and don't see uh, any changes in terms of uh, V4-US relations. Uh, to be realistic, in Washington, Visegrad is too small of an entity to be at least seen on the map. So they are more interested in bigger formats like the Three Seas Initiative and, and uh, others. But... Uh, Again, when it comes to Brussels, I think the platform will remain uh, important. Yeah, well, I, I totally agree with uh, with Peter and Peter. <laughs> um, I, I think in the last three decades, uh, the Visegrad group overcome maybe even bigger challenges. For example, the new goal definition when they reached all their goals and when they were uh, defying the next uh, perspective for the future. So uh, we will overcome these differences as well. And yes, we will concentrate on on things which uh, uh, which unite us and, and not on things which divide us. And uh, of course, initially, the, the war between Russia and Ukraine will, will finish. And then we'll have to think how to build... Um, uh, how to help Ukraine rebuild, how to build a new Europe, how can we cooperate in security. Um, so, yes, the future, I think, is bright for the V4 group. And yes, we will see in the next months or, or years what will happen. That's a very optimistic turn to end. So thank you again for uh, joining me, Peter Stepper, Anton Benderzewski and Peter Sitash. I think this was a very fruitful discussion. And um, if you want to see and hear more content like this, please follow our social media profiles or visit our website at denubeinstitute.hu. Thank you. Thank you.